All right, welcome to Just a Book Club, where we talk about books that are just books. They're not literature, they're just books. Yeah, there's nothing valuable in them whatsoever, and we have nothing to talk about for the next half hour or so. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to Just a Book Club. I'm Rowan. I'm Alex. Today we are reading Animorphs Book 3. The Encounter. It's a good voice for it. Yeah, I just love these titles. They bring the mystery and the drama that the books themselves bring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, brief, uh, brief summary for this one. Uh, this book focuses on Tobias's perspective. We begin by seeing Tobias rescuing a hawk that is being used as a prop for a car commercial. Uh, we follow him as he wrestles with his desires to be human and his hawk instincts. Eventually, he attempts to abandon his humanity completely and only comes back when presented with a human being being attacked by Yurk controllers, which reminds him of his purpose, and he chooses to keep fighting. So I know that in our last episode, we touched on the fact that we're getting different perspectives in each book. And so this book is written from Tobias's perspective. So my first question is, what is Tobias bringing to the table here? What are we getting in book three from Tobias that we weren't getting in books one and two? I mean, so much, right? Uh, he's very, very different from the rest of the cast. It's, it's weird. I don't actually remember when I was a kid reading these. I don't remember anyone, any of them being from Tobias's perspective. I don't think I've said it on this podcast before, but one of the things I really enjoy about this series is that it's it was very clearly like designed for school libraries in a big mm -hmm. way. There's no expectation that you're going to read all of them. There's no real expectation that you're going to you know um, go from start to finish. You're going to pick up whichever one happens to be available and you're going to read it. You know, it's it's very episodic, mm. and. Uh, I read a bunch of them, and I don't remember ever reading one from Tobias's perspective. I could be wrong, right? But this mm -hmm. this is a first for me interacting with Tobias. Tobias is obviously the the anamorph who was trapped in the first book and had to stay as a bird so that nobody would see him for longer than he was supposed to, and now he's just a hawk forever, mm -hmm. and. So we get to see a lot of the struggles that come with when events in your life cause permanent changes that affect what you're able to do and how you are able to live that life. Yeah. And there's many roads that you could take as you pick this apart. For me, this is why we read because when we can see what's happening to a character or what's happening in a story and then it makes us think more about our own life and our own path and it makes us introspective it makes us rethink things that might have been normal to us before but then when we see it happen to a character under extreme or supernatural circumstances, 
then it changes the way we think about what's happening in our own life. And this whole ordeal with Tobias being a hawk and being so different from the others because he's permanently stuck as a hawk, obviously so different from all the other human kids around him, and it changes the way he thinks because he starts thinking like a hawk. It obviously causes emotional turmoil because he at one point decides to just stay as a hawk. He accepts this as his new life and doesn't want to be a part of the human world anymore. Um, what are some ways that the readers might feel like Tobias? You know, you know, I think this book does does some really interesting things, and I think this is where the nature of criticism becomes really important. There's, um, there's a lot of ways, right? This could be a a metaphor for a lot of things. If if you want to make it that, you know, it's it it feels like a metaphor for for disability, um, or for the queer experience, right? In in a lot of ways, and you know, there there are some ways in which those metaphors don't really hold out, or or maybe maybe they don't work. Maybe they bring up topics that are that are really sensitive and potentially hurtful, and I think that's important to acknowledge, right? If if you want to take the approach that this is a, a metaphor for the queer experience, as an example, there are a lot of aspects to Tobias's story that that seem to imply that he's you know less than, right? Um, he feels lesser than his friends because he's not as versatile. He can't turn into anything else. Um, he can't communicate with them. He struggles in a lot of ways, and and that could be really difficult to encounter. But at the same time, I think it's also really valuable that. You know, for that reason, I think it's important to understand one that these books are coming from unreliable narrators, right? And so, just because the the kids in the book feel a certain way about something, that doesn't mean that that is what the book is about or what the what the overall story is about. And then also, I I think it's it's valuable to recognize that that you know not everything that we see in a book is intentional. And so the the metaphors that you find are often, you know, we create them ourselves. And sometimes sometimes there are metaphors that the author intended, but you know, in reality I I don't think that you generate meaning from a book until you read it, right? No no book has meaning or or I guess actual applied value until you read it and interpret it. And so the, the ways in which you see the book happening, right? If if you see the the queer metaphor and you relate to that, and that's important, how you interact with that is what matters, right? How you interact with the discussion of disabilities is is what matters. If you don't see those metaphors, if those metaphors aren't what are important to you about the book, I think that's also fine. There's there's a lot to unpack here. And you know, I I think you could spend hours on any of these, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone would argue, though, with the interpretation that Tobias is 
ostracized, mm-hmm. that he's separate from the rest, certainly that he feels that way, right? Yeah. And as a reader, we can all connect with that. There is something in every reader's life that separates them from the group. And it's a part of the human experience that we all have to go through and find a way to cope with or overcome. And this is exactly what's happening to Tobias. And as a reader, we see this extreme example of it, as opposed to the reader having experience where they are LGBTQ+, or they uh, are bound to a wheelchair, or they have ADHD, um, or they feel that their body isn't shaped the way that you know everyone else's. The list is endless because there's something that applies to everybody. And they feel that because it's different than the people around them, it is a negative thing, right? As opposed to a superpower, as opposed to something that is a part of, a part of their life and does not make them any less than, just because it's different than. And it takes some people a lifetime to learn it and some people never learn it. That different doesn't mean less. Yeah, um, I think that the the ending of the book really does speak to that, right? He, the Tobias's conclusion eventually is kind of a, a very middle of the road thing, which which you do see a lot in in stories about identity, right? the The end result of Tobias wrestling with this conflict between his human desires and his animal instincts is that he is both right uh up to this point tobias has seen himself as a human trapped in a hawk's body and he's had to come to terms with the fact that his hawk's body is just as much a part of him as his human self uh and and the struggles that come with that that he is who he is and uh you know he has to kind of learn to be okay with that absolutely and you touched on a really excellent point earlier to always be careful with interpretations and metaphors because a reader might at first feel empowered by the message as they read it and see Tobias being other than and connecting with that and excited to see where the book goes. And then maybe they'll be disappointed as they read through the book and see that the rhetoric leans more towards that it's dangerous for him to be permanently stuck as a hawk. And the hope is that one day he'll be able to go back into human form. And so you can certainly interpret too much, right? It is possible to read too much into something. And uh, it can sometimes do more damage than good because we're not at all saying that that's the author's message necessarily. We don't have the authors here with us to direct us in the same direction they were going. But personally, for me, it's about using the power of story, the power of extremes, 
the power of character connection in order to rethink things in our own lives. And that's exactly what this is doing for me. And just a, just an important little side note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's so important to, to understand, you know, why we're doing this, right? What, what stories do. Um, I think to me, what stories do is that they present us with opportunities to investigate ourselves and others. You know, if, if you're not necessarily identifying with a person being ostracized, right? If that's not something that's familiar to you, uh, and you are asked to live in this person's brain for, uh, for about, you know, 90 something pages who is a bird and is separate from everyone because of that. Mm. Right. And you are asked to live in their brain and to be a part of them for that time. I think you can learn a lot from that. You know, I think you can learn about the people that maybe you have ostracized. That's, that's the other side of it, right? You can learn how they feel and the ways that they have been hurt. Uh, and hopefully that will encourage you to, to maybe be more charitable and more merciful in the future mm -hmm. and kinder. But yeah, I, I think it's an important note to acknowledge that, you know, the, the book is what you make it. And I don't think that means you have to ignore potentially harmful messaging and rhetoric. I think it's good to acknowledge it and say, you know, this is here. And sometimes it's worse. And that's important, right? It, you, you know, I, I don't think we really benefit from ignoring things, from, from ignoring what we see or how we interpret literature. What matters is what we do with that information. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I think we have to seriously investigate, you know, how we read and why we read, right? Because if, if, you, if you see that rhetoric and you say, oh, because I'm reading it in a book, it must be true. Mm -hmm. uh, and that really hurts and is hard and is painful. Then it's important to say, like, no, maybe it's maybe it's not true, right? Mm. You know, maybe this is an unreliable narrator, or you know, I'm I'm reading it in a book that K. A. Applegate wrote, and therefore K. A. Applegate feels this way. Maybe, mm. and if that's a problem, you, you know that 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 could be that could be true, and that could be a, a big problem. But also maybe not, right? As you said, we don't know. We don't know how how she feels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know what? What we do have is the book. And I think there are things that, you know, there are aspects of the rhetoric that could be troubling, but there are also aspects of the rhetoric that, that could be, you know, as, as you said, really valuable. There's, you know, you know, that sentiment of being ostracized and, you know, really honestly feeling ostracized. I think that's something I really liked about this one is that it was very honest you know, Tobias's perspective is very painful mm -hmm. and we don't shy away from that. We're, we're mm -hmm. really forced to confront the pain that he is experiencing, the loneliness as people try to reach out to him, but they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. They don't get what he needs or who he is or how he feels. Mm -hmm. That seems to be one of the threads that's making its way through the entire series so far is that empathy that you've touched on in book one and book two. And I bet we're going to see it throughout the whole series. Yeah. 
there is there is something else I wanted to bring up that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of tied to this in a way. So as we're talking about this, the the, the question of identity mm-hmm. becomes really big, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think that's a really interesting question to explore. How how do you feel this book talks about um, what it means to be human? I will be so bold as to say that the author does take a stance on this part, and the author is delivering a message here to answer that question of what is it that makes us human, or at least what's the best part about being human. Because the book starts with them as a team rescuing an animal who they feel is in an abusive environment. And then at the end of the book, what eventually brings Tobias out of his animal brain and back into his human brain is helping someone else, is helping another creature. So this altruism, where we do good for someone else for no other reason other than our morality, I believe is what the author is saying is what makes us human, or at least is what is the best part about being human. And it comes up in the book that Tobias realizes um, another hawk. So at the end of the book, when the uh, hawk that he's become close with and that he rescued is killed, he just feels this deep remorse. And he realizes that the deep pain he feels to lose this creature and to see this creature die, he feels it at a level a hawk never would. Yeah. Now, a debate on whether or not animals feel um, pain and mourning for other animals, well, we know that they do, but certainly not to the extent that humans do. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, another point in the book where the author is saying, look, you know, we are separate from animals and what really makes us human is, you know, some of the best parts about us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of, I remember reading somewhere, I don't remember names, but there have been a lot of theories about how human civilization began, right? And the the most poignant one that seems to come up a lot is the idea that the the thing that made civilization civilization, right? The time when we started becoming communities, really. You know, this this anthropologist pointed to a healed leg bone, a bone that had been broken, had been set, and had healed. That is civilization. For the time that that person's leg was broken, they probably couldn't do much. Right? And were we a more cutthroat set of animals, they may have been left behind because they couldn't keep up. But we figured it out, right? We found a way to save that person, to heal their leg. We took them with us. We accepted their weakness and moved forward with it. And so, yeah, I think there is this recurring theme, not just in the books, but you know, in, in our society in general, where what we identify as being you know, the important human trait is caring is the way that we look out for one another yeah absolutely because you might see it in the in the rest of the animal kingdom 
I just can't be convinced that you see it anywhere else in the animal kingdom to the extent that you see it mm-hmm. with humans. I yeah. mean, yes, animals mourn loss of uh, another animal sometimes, <laughs> but not the way that it destroys us. Yeah. As humans, it just rips us apart when we lose a loved one. And that mourning lasts our entire life. Um, we never forget. And you're right, you know, crows will, you know, crows and some primates will do CPR on their fellow crows or primates that have gone unconscious. But as you mentioned, humans will carry around someone with a broken leg for months and months, knowing that they'll never fully be able to contribute to the community what someone with two functioning legs can. But they'll still do it because, because they care. <laughs> so we, we take it to the next level. Yeah. We're yeah. really good at caring. And I think, you know, there, there's a tough balance that you have to strike when you're talking about like analyzing animal behavior, right? Because um, so often we tend to project onto animals, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we look at their behavior and we see them doing things that look similar to what we do. And so we assume that they are the same. And often they're not, right? I, I like that you brought up crows because crows will hold funerals or things that we call funerals. The thing is, as I understand it, at least upon more detailed inspection, those are not funerals. They're, they're murder investigations, mm. right? The crow has, you know, the, the, the murder of crows, I guess, ironically, has discovered that there is a threat in their midst that has killed one of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so they are investigating the corpse of this crow to look for, for signs of what it was and figure out what the threat is, how to deal with it and how to move forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure. I mean, we do that with, you know, murder and such things, but again, this interpretation of that investigation as a funeral is a very human thing that we are doing. Right. I am projecting onto Mm -hmm. the crow, this, this sense of mourning and loss that might not be there to the same extent that I am interpreting it mm. or is interpreted differently, right? It's, it's really common with reptiles. I remember reading somewhere that reptiles just do not experience the concept of love the same way or, or family the same way that mammals do. Mm. They just don't have that instinct. And yet people have pet reptiles and they will project um, that sense of love and family onto a reptile that might see this person as an aspect of their environment that is safe and comfortable, mm-hmm. but is not family. Yeah, that comes full circle, doesn't it? Because it's just the way that we can interpret what we want out of a book and a story, we can interpret what we want out of animal behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like what was mentioned earlier, it matters more what we do with it. If interpreting a reptile's behavior as familiar is what helps us treat that reptile better, give it better living conditions, give it a better quality of life, and become activists in saving their habitats, let's say, then, yeah. well, great, <laughs> right? And if you know we interpret what we need to out of 
the Animorph series in order to get through life and make our day-to-day a little bit better as we connect with Tobias and the way that he is othered? Well, great. That's what it's there for. That's what stories are there for. Yeah. You know, and in, in the same vein, right, uh, as, as we've kind of talked about, you can go the opposite way. If you mm-hmm. interpret a lion as being cute and cuddly and decide to keep it as a pet and it murders you, that was probably the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. You assume that the lion had feelings for you that it just did not have, and you got killed for it. And in the same way, if you know we take metaphors too far, right? Mm-hmm. If 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 we take them to the point where they fall apart, or you know we we do interpret things and internalize those interpretations as inherently true, rather than as things to talk about, to think about, to examine question that can be really harming and damaging as well harmful Mm -hmm. and damaging as -hmm. well absolutely you know there was there was one more thing that i thought was really interesting Mm -hmm. about this book in particular so far up to this point we have been looking at characters who are really in the mix both of our previous books have been you know, from the perspective of the people like doing things, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're doing espionage. They're trying to get into secret places, and they're using their morphing powers to do that. But this time, uh, we get someone with a different set of skills, whose primary purpose is surveillance, and you know, he's he's not doing the mission, really. You know, he's again, he's ostracized, right? He's on the outside of the ship while everyone else is inside trying to figure out how to proceed. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think the thing that it drove home to me is that these books aren't about the mission. Mm -hmm. The mission is not what matters, right? And I think that's part of why these stories are in first person is because it's not about the mission, right? The, The mission, you know, whatever that happens to be, right? Each episode. Each book has its own mission, but whatever the mission happens to be, that's not what is important. That's not what matters about that book. The The mission is an excuse for mm-hmm. Applegate to discuss the relationships and internal turmoil and hopes and dreams and desires of these kids, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that is especially brought home here where you know, there's this ship that's taking water up to the up to the Yerk uh, mothership or whatever. That is the the encounter in this case, mm-hmm. right? Um, they encounter the ship, and you know the team has come up with a plan to infiltrate it by turning into fish and getting sucked up with the water that mm-hmm. the, the ship is taking from a lake. And uh, Tobias is left out. You know. His responsibility is surveillance. He's on the outside. Uh, and his role ends up being a lot more uh, pivotal than it was planned to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as they get trapped and he has to start doing things. But yeah, it just seems like, you know, the the purpose of this book is not so much to tell the story about this mission as it is to examine and investigate Tobias. Mm, yeah. And this is a... This is a good time for us to also talk about how there's, my understanding is there's two different authors. It's a husband and wife 
co-authorship of at least the first part of the series. And then later on, some ghostwriters are brought on who uh, write the books. But I wonder if that has anything to do with this sense of perspective shifts. And I'm just going on a thought exercise here as I consider that you've got two authors writing each book. And it would be so fascinating to get to talk to them and ask, did you alternate? Where one of you wrote book one, the other wrote book two, the other wrote book three. Did you discuss ideas together? Was it collaborative? Um, but it would make sense to me that because you had two different perspectives on the same book or on the same series, then that affects the way that they play with perspective throughout the series. The perspective of different characters, the physical perspective, right? You've got literally the bird's eye view of things. That's just more, just a little dessert for thought for me as we kind of close up here. Something yeah. for me to think about. Yeah. So what, what are your main takeaways? What's the, what's the dinner, I guess, if, uh, yeah. if that was the dessert? The main takeaway for me is, but I think for me, the main takeaway is that we don't have to be reading something from a college-level course in order to be moved by it and in order for it to make us rethink parts of our lives and reassess our values and to prompt big thought changes. It can be an Animorphs book from the elementary school library shelf, which if the listeners haven't figured it out yet, I guess episode three is a good enough time for us to tell them that that's what this is all about. Yeah. That, that that's why we're doing this. Because, yeah. uh, because a 10-year-old reading Animorphs can have the same meaningful and inspiring experience reading a story that a graduate student reading Dostoevsky can have. And it can start as it can start that early. Their relationship with stories and books on that meaningful of a level can start that early with books like this. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I feel like we've done a good job of, of proving that point up to now, right? Three episodes in. And uh, I hope we continue to do so. There's a lot to talk about. And I've, I know I've said it before, but I'm excited to see what happens next. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, I'm Rowan Constantine. I'm Alex Delbar. Join us next week for Animorph Book 4, The Message. We'll see you then. This episode of Just a Book Club was edited and audio engineered by Delbar Media. The original theme song was written by Alex Delbar. 